This morning I'm going to begin by looking in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. I would say that in this this passage that this is a common theme and a common struggle both with believers and unbelievers about the prosperity of the wicked. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily, they set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue walks throughout the whole earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. Their increases, they increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and wash my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Asaph, the writer of this psalm, is struggling with what a lot of people struggle with, a very common thing that our human nature struggles with. The prosperity of those who are walking in their sins without any restraint. And so we as Christians, sometimes we fall into that trap of comparing ourselves to others. And the Bible says, those who compare themselves among themselves and by themselves are not wise. It's a foolish thing to do. But if we fall into that trap of comparison, there's a couple things to look at. Number one, not all the wicked are prosperous. There are many who are walking in their sins who are suffering serious and grave things and such great heartbreaks and troubles. That's number one. But number two, why are some of them, some of them, the people in the entertainment world and the, and the sports world, and they look like they're just having such a grand time and God isn't, doesn't seem like he's doing anything to stop them. And you see that that's what Asaph was talking about here. You know, it's kind of like in our human nature, we think, well, if we do, if we follow God, that everything's going to be good and we're not going to suffer. But if we do what's wrong, then we're going to get hammered. And that's going to happen to everybody. 
and that bad things are going to happen to people who do bad. Human nature would tell us that on a certain level. That if there's that God would just, you know, resist all those who do what's wrong and bless all those who do what's right, and there's no in between. And you see this common struggle that Asaph was, was struggling with. It says it was too painful then when he tried to understand it. And we go on and it says verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one wakes up, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. So he begins to realize how foolish his thinking was. He says, because when I went into the house of the Lord, he says, I began to realize they're in a dangerous place. They're in a slippery place. You know, they have no incentive to seek God in all their prosperity. They see no need for God. They're in a dangerous place. But he goes on to say in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And after, receive me up to glory. Isn't that what it's really about? Having God walking with us and receiving his counsel and then going to be with him. Isn't that what life is really about? Verse 25, Who have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So this is what it's all about. Having God being our portion and Him being our strength. No matter what happens in this life, David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Who cares about the prosperity of the wicked? Who cares what's going on in somebody else's family? We have promises from God. I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. And His mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's something I can rest in without having any anxiety. Verse 27, For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. One version says, The nearness of God is my good. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. God's nearness is our good. That's what's really important. That God is with us. And we are with Him. Destruction and judgment are for those who reject God. Yes, God may discipline us, but His mercy and His goodness will follow us all the days of our life. And so, that helps us to look at things. When we look at things through the spiritual realm, we see things differently. We begin to look at life differently. The Bible says the carnal mind 
doesn't understand the things of God. So if we look at things through the carnal mind, we're going to look at things the way Asaph did originally. You know? He said he almost fell. He almost stumbled because he saw what was going on in the world. But I can tell you, some of us who have lived long enough have seen wicked who prospered, and all of a sudden one day, it all collapsed on them. Many of the rich and the famous, for example, just as an example, and one day disaster came upon them. So from there we go to Ezekiel chapter 18, which is after Psalms. The ways down. It's after Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Beginning in verse 21. Ezekiel 18.21 But if a wicked man turns from all of his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should perish, says the Lord, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness which he is guilty and the sin which he committed. Because of them he shall perish. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O Israel, is it not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the wickedness which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed, and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not perish. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is unfair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn away from your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you perish, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore turn and live. In this we see the heart of God versus the natural man and the carnal mind. 
And Israel was saying to God, your ways are unfair to the Lord. Imagine that. But God was saying, if the wicked, instead of destroying the wicked, God wants them to repent. That's why they still continue on the earth. Jesus said he makes the rain, the rain on the good man's house and on the sinner's house. He makes the sunshine on the field of the godly man and the un ungodly man. The fact of the matter is, is that God loves sinners. And as a young man, that was news to me. And welcome news to me, that God loves sinners. And He doesn't want them to perish. He didn't want me to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. We read the, a couple weeks ago, where Peter, in the book of Peter, Peter... Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3 that God isn't slack concerning judging this world. But He's patient because He doesn't want anyone to perish, but that everyone to come to repentance. He's giving people a chance to repent. And you begin to see the heart of God. And we begin to question ourselves, am I like that? Do I love sinners? Do I want to see people repent when they wrong me? When they wrong others? When they're doing evil? Do I want to see them go on continuing in their sin and continuing in their sin and God hammer them for it? Or do I want to see God reach them? And maybe even God use me to cause them to speak through me, act through me, work through me to cause them to repent. God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. And neither should we. Because the destruction of the wicked is coming. We've already covered that many times. God's judgment is coming. But it is not something God takes pleasure in. The destruction of the wicked. And you see, even in the Old Testament, God was saying, you know... That he wanted the people to repent. He didn't take any pleasure in, in bringing judgment against them. That's why he was slow to bring his judgment. But I can tell you, and you may have seen it too, that we have seen in our lifetime the destruction of some of the wicked. Just like in Abraham's time, in the time of Lot, they saw the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not the only place that immorality was happening. That's not the only place that perversions ever happened to this day. But God used them as an example of the judgment that is coming to those who live like that. But He doesn't do it to everybody. Do we say, well, God's ways are unfair because of that? No, we say that God's ways are higher than our ways. Just as a the heavens are higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than you way, your ways, says the Lord. Read that in the book of Isaiah. So we say, we see here, God says, cast away all your sins. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Jesus talked about that in the New Testament, being born of the Spirit. But having our sins forgiven through faith in Him. Being born of the Spirit, being born again, Jesus used those words. 
He says, why should you perish? I have no pleasure in the death of the one who perishes. Therefore, turn and live. Turn to his son Jesus and live. From there we go to Revelation chapter 2. Verse 18. This is where God sends, I mean, Jesus appears to John the Apostle and gives him a letter to send to each of the churches. And to the church of Thyatira. Verse 19. I know this is to the church of Thyatira. Verse 19. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow this that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill their, her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and will give each of you according to your works. Now I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this teaching and have not known the depths of Satan, I will put no other burden on you, but hold fast what you have until I come. It's hard to believe that something like this was going on in a church. Because we talk about the early church and how, how there were so many great things going for it. But here, in this church in Thyatira, you have this woman who Jesus refers to as Jezebel, the Old Testament um, uh, queen in Israel. Now, I don't know whether her name was really Jezebel, or Jesus just re uh, referred to her as that, because she was doing in the church, the New Testament church, what Jezebel was doing in the Old Testament kingdom of Israel. She was teaching Jezebel in the Old Testament, was teaching the, the people of Israel to eat things offered to idols. She was a Baal worshiper, and she was teaching them to eat the things offered to idols and to commit fornication, sexual immorality. And you had this woman who was calling herself a prophetess, and people were looking to her as someone who was a prophetess of God, and yet she was teaching the Christians in the church to eat things offered to idols and to commit fornication. He said, it's hard to believe that something like that would happen in the church. Why wasn't somebody doing something about this? Why weren't they sending her away like in the church at Corinth? That's a good question. Um, 
and it's a question, but you see here that even if something as horrible as this, that judgment didn't come right away. This woman's committing, she's teaching immorality in the church and doing immorality in the church. Eating things offered to idols in the church. Listen to the words of Jesus. I gave her time to repent of her fornication. And she did not repent. How much time? We don't know. It's a period of time. She didn't repent. There was a period of time that she was she was continue doing what she's doing. And Jesus said during that time she didn't repent. She's still doing it. So Jesus said, Okay. I gave her time to repent, and she's not she's not repenting. And so, in verse 22, I will cast her into a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. A call to repentance. Fornication, adultery in the church. And Jesus doesn't bring immediate judgment. Why? Because that's who he is. He wanted them to repent. You see, he gave her time to repent. He didn't want to judge her. God doesn't want to bring judgment. He does it as a last resort. Because God is a God of love. He loves even the, 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 the wickedest of sinners. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. God reached out to him. As we said a couple weeks ago, did anybody who knew Paul, Saul of Tarsus, did they see him becoming a great Christian? Saint Paul, the the apostle of the of the a great apostle of the faith, preacher to the Jew and to the Gentile. Many letters of the New Testament written by Paul. Did anybody see that coming? God saw it coming, but nobody else. The apostles didn't see it. The other apostles didn't see it coming. They were when they heard he had come to see them in the church. They were afraid to let him in. So Barnabas spoke for him. God wanted Jezebel, this Jezebel here, to repent. Said, and I gave gave her time to repent. She kept on doing what she was doing, and I didn't stop her. I gave her time to repent. And other people who are committing adultery with her, they didn't repent either. He said, well, I'm going to bring judgment against them and those who commit adultery with her. This judgment's coming. And all the churches will know that he, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. God searches the hearts and the minds. But he is not wanting to bring judgment against any he wants everyone to come, repent and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That doesn't mean we should take his judgment lightly. Because I can tell you that even when I was a young man and not a believer, I saw God bring judgment against people and I didn't realize that's what it was until later. So we shouldn't take lightly his warnings.
it's hard for us to understand sometimes what's going on when we pray about these things. When we pray for people who are backslidden, people have turned away from God like this. We begin to understand only as we look deeper and God shows us and gives revelation to us like he did to Asaph when he went into the house of God. God opened his understanding. He said, I didn't understand it. I went into the house of God. And all of a sudden, ah, God gave him understanding. This is why this is happening. The judgment is coming to them. But God is giving them a chance. People must have looked, some people, godly people must have looked at Jezebel and said, you know, why doesn't God bring judgment against them, this woman? Look what she's doing in the church. Teaching this false doctrine. Doing these evil things. Committing adultery. And nothing's happening. And the answer comes from Jesus himself. It's going to happen. It's just I'm giving her a chance to repent. Because God loves sinners. God loved even these people that were doing evil in the church. He loved them enough to give them a chance to repent and to follow Christ in the church of God. From there, I want to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. The prophet Daniel. Beginning in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three weeks full. Three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. So for three weeks Daniel was fasting and praying about the message he had received and did not understand. In verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. And while he was speaking his word, this word to me, I stood trembling. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have become because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with a king 
of Persia. And now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days to come. This gives us some insight into something that we may not ever really understand otherwise. In the book of Ephesians it says, We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We read here that Daniel began praying and fasting for 21 days. And on the first day, an angel was sent to give answer him concerning his prayer about the message. So why did it take him 21 days? Well, the angel told Daniel something that seemed very strange. He said there was a prince of the kingdom of Persia who stood me 21 days. Now, we know that no human prince withstand an angel so we come to understand that this is a prince of darkness that withstood him and then he said and behold Michael one of the chief princes came to help me later in the book of Daniel we Michael is referred to Michael the archangel the book of Revelation talks about Michael the archangel one of the highest ranking angels Michael came to help him, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I came to make you understand what will happen to your people. He came finally to answer the prayer that Daniel had prayed, but it took 21 days because of spiritual warfare. This gives us understanding into something very strange to our natural mind. That when we pray, that there is spiritual resistance at times. And we need to pray through. Daniel had to pray for 21 days. Three weeks. He fasted for three weeks and prayed. Until finally he got his answer. There is spiritual resistance, spiritual warfare that goes on And we may not connect it with our prayer life, but it's there. And so when we're praying for people to repent, to come back to the Lord, or people to be saved, understand there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. Understand that there are spiritual forces, both God's angels and those that are working for the devil, the fallen angels, the demons. And there is a spiritual warfare going on. And we see in this case that an angel was held until a higher ranking angel came to free him up so he could continue on his journey to go to to the prophet Daniel and give him the message from God. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, 
For though we walk in the body, the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imagination, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ. Verse 7, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? The carnal mind looks at things according to the outward appearance, and that's the beginning and the end of it. This is the way things look, that's the way they are. The spiritual mind looks at things altogether differently. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Read in the book of Romans. Life in looking at things through the eyes of the Spirit. The natural mind and natural weapons have no use in fighting against spiritual wickedness. And he tells that we should cast down all the imaginations in our mind, all the things in our mind that don't agree with Christ. We have the power in Christ to do that. He says to bring every thought captive, prisoner, to obeying Christ. And then he goes on to say, are you looking at things according to the outward appearance? That is a negative to every Christian. Looking at things according to the outward appearance. When a Christian prays and sees nothing happening and says, well, what's the use in praying? Nothing's happening. That's looking at things according to the outward appearance. Looking at things spiritually is putting our trust in God. Not being concerned about the prosperity of the wicked. Of those we're praying for, they're not repenting. We don't see anything happening. They're still going on their merry way, it seems. We just keep praying for them. In the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus rose from the dead on Easter, he's walking along the road on Easter Sunday afternoon, and two guys, two disciples, and they're on the road to Emmaus. And the two of them are met up with Jesus, but they didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus had hidden his appearance from them so that they didn't know it was him. And they began to tell him about what had happened to Jesus. And they said, oh, we thought he was going to bring salvation to Israel and all this other stuff. And Jesus said, I was foolish of heart and slow, slow of heart to believe. All the things that the prophets have written. Slow of heart to believe. Slow to heart to trust God and to believe His promises. Slow of heart to believe God in our prayers. Slow of, God, slow of heart to have faith. Jesus was astonished, amazed at the unbelief of those of His time. We understand by what we've read today that there's more to believe in God than just what we see. We cannot be moved by 
what we see? Are we walking according to the outward appearance? There is no faith in that. There is no faith in walking according to the outward appearance. And yet the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Faith is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Believing the things that Jesus and the apostles said is what we should be living by. Not by what we see. Are we looking at things according to the outward appearance? There is no hope. There is no help. There is no faith in looking at things according to the outward appearance. There is a spiritual struggle. There is a lot going on in God's agenda. God has an agenda. He has a plan. And we have to come to the grips with the fact that we don't always understand it all. He reveals some of it to us, but not all of it. The secret things belong to God, Moses said. But the things that are revealed are for us and our children. God will reveal certain things to us. He reveals to us that he has no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. And neither should we. If we are not loving sinners, there's something wrong in our hearts. Because God is love. And God loves sinners enough to give his life for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we're not loving sinners, we forget where we came from. Because God loved us and gave his life for us before he forgave us of our sins. God loves sinners. Before we were cleansed of our sins, we we were doing that too. Or we had the potential to do that. There was a lot of corruption going on inside of us, whether we saw it or not. That's where I'm going to stop if you brothers want to...